Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, our shir is dedicated for a refuah shlema for Kamir Chaya Hadas, Bas Tzipor Miriam, and Ilu Nishmas Tovigitl, Bas Michal Gershon Visharon. Last week we did an introduction previously on uh, spiritual parenting. We did an introduction to the figure, uh, the monumental figure of the Piazetsan Rebbe, Bukhlevinus Kamal Shapiro. Talked a little bit about his biography, about who he is and why it's important to be learning his works. Um, it, as the cover photo, when I uh, saved this year, I found a picture of the Piazetsner and his son. Uh, his son was named after his father Piazetsner, again, was orphaned of his father at the age of three. And he named his son Elimelech Ben Sion, and he was killed, uh, he was killed early on in the war. Um, so it's a beautiful picture, both of them standing together, you know, father and son. So I thought that that was a picture that's apropos, the cover photo um, for the recordings of this. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, an introduction that this Sefer, this book, Chovas Tamidim, that is really a part of a, a, a trilogy of sorts of books that are geared towards education, geared towards parents and teachers at every stage of a child's development all the way into adulthood and when they have children of their own. And um, we saw Chovara Tamidim as the one that starts it off. And it begins with a kind of preamble, the Siachim Amamlamdim Ve'avos Habanim, a conversation with teachers and with parents of children. Uh, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the opening verse, which is really the lodestar for really everything else that comes afterwards, which is a verse that comes from Mishle, from Proverbs, that says, Chanot Lenar al Pidarko. You have to teach, you have to educate a child according to their path. So that when they, it's usually translated as when they become old, they won't deviate from that path. But we're going to see that uh, that translation might be imprecise. And we could do a little bit better job understanding what the Pasuk is driving at by uh, translating it the way the Piazetz and the way the Ishkodesh does so. We talked about the fact that true education is that which lasts. True education is that which stays, not the small details or facts uh, that are recorded now and that you remember the details that you get or the dates and ages that come from information. It's what is recalled and remembered later, what becomes part and parcel of a child, of a student, uh, even an adult that's learning. Uh, you could always stay forever young. Uh, it's important to do that. And, um, and, and I, I, would, I would add to this that I think that true education or education uh, that is successful is one that actually alters the person who's learning, that you leave a changed a uh, changed woman, a changed man, a changed child, uh, that even their personality is subtly altered and affected in the way that the teacher uh, or the parent is trying to imprint or impart upon the child or student. Um, we also talked about the word chinuch. The word chinuch is closely associated with the holiday of Hanukkah. Uh, for example, uh, when Kohanim would first be starting out or being trained, they would have a minchas chinuch, they would have an initial offering that they would bring, and this was an inauguration. The word chinuch means beginnings, it means something new. And we talk about Chinuch, for example, Chanukah Tabayit, inaugurating a house for the first time. As somebody pointed out to me that the Chasim Sofer, um, Rabbi Moshe Sofer wrote that there is no such thing as a Chanukah Tabayit, as the inauguration of a house that is in Chutz La'aretz, that is outside the land of Israel. The only true Chanukah Tabayit, I guess you have to go tell uh, anybody that's done a cornerstone laying ceremony at uh, any institution uh, that it's not quite the real thing. The only uh, true Lasting Chanukah Tabayit is in Eretz Yisrael. And I think that what the Chasim Sofer might be referring to is that, uh, is, is what the Piazzat has said over here. It's Chinuch is a lashon of Atchal, it's a lashon of beginning, a language of beginning, but it's also one that lasts, one that uh, creates an effect that persists far longer than that initial thing. 
And maybe that's why the Chassam Sofer is saying that the only Chanukah Tabayit is in the land of Israel because the Talmud also tells us that there will come a time, the Messiah will come, and all the houses, all the Jewish communities, all the shoals, all of the schools, everything will find its way, will make its way to, um, there we go, uh, will find its way, will make its way to the land of Israel that we brought to the land of Israel. Uh, so maybe that's where the lasting edifice comes from. So continuing on, we're on the... Uh, I, I would, uh, let me take a look and tell you exactly what page this is over here. So, we did those first three paragraphs. I should probably number the paragraphs for next time. That's all in the way of saying what we did uh, last time. We're on page four, and um, we're on page four, and uh, let's start from the second paragraph with the word aval, with the word aval. This word aval uh, is in reference to uh, the first Jews, to Avram and Sarah. Avram and Sarah, we said, Avram and Sarah were childless at the time, one of the most painful human experiences. They were childless at the time, and Avram and Sarah are described as making their way to the land of Israel. Vayarek es chanichav yilidebe, so they took 318 people with them on their journey, and chanichav, it calls his, if you've ever been a counselor in a Moshava or something like that, you know the word chanichim. For campers, right? Chanichav, maybe it comes from Avraham and Sarah. These people that they taught, they were considered, these were their mechunachim. These were the people that they were educating, the people that they were, te- that they were treating. I don't know if I mentioned this last time when I was trying to convince a particular teacher to come, uh, to come out and to teach here. Uh, and what I said, what I described, I said, you can make nefashot, you can make souls. You will have students that go and will remember what you did and how you educated them and all the things that you did for them. You're oset nefesh. You, want, you can make nefashot. That's the goal of teachers, to look at a child's soul and to say, I'm going to help their parents to build it or for parents to look at their teacher and say, here's my child's soul. I'm giving it over to you and you're going to be the person to build it. So it continues, it says, The point is, is that chinuch is something that is not just fleeting flash in a pan that a student or a child gets at this moment, but it's something that yecholim la'amodbo or atid la'amodbo, that in the future they will be steadfast in it. I'll give another example from the Torah, from Chazal, uh, where, where this is germane. Uh, we find that Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph, finds himself in the house of Potiphar, and uh, Yosef is described. I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know if uh, Danny Osmond is, uh, is a good example of this, but even more beautiful than Danny Osmond. I think that was the one that played him in Broadway. Uh, he has beautiful curls, Ben Porat, Yosef Ben Porat, Ali Ayin. And he catches the eye of Aisha Potiphar, of the wife of his master, who entices him, who seduces him to come to be together with her. And Yosef is about to sin. The, the Chazal tell us that Yosef had resisted her advances, had, 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 had really stayed strong and steadfast throughout everything that she had tried to do to seduce him. And, and you could just imagine the situation. Yosef is alone. He's probably feeling abandoned completely by everybody, by home and, uh, and his God even. And it says that Yosef is about to give in. And then when he finds himself in this moment together with the wife of Potiphar, Rashi tells us that he sees the mustiyukno shal aviv lefanov. He sees the image of his father in front of him. If that's any way to kill a moment, that's probably the way to do it. And the meaning of this though, 
uh, jokes aside, is that Yosef remembered that which he learned when he was younger. He put himself back into that moment and he said, I'm, this is not what my chinuch was. This is not how I was taught. This is not the way. And he brought himself back to that very moment to some of his earlier days. Uh, there's a, another beautiful story um, that I think about all the time and I actually use this when I speak to students a lot. I'm not a Yiddish speaker, but sometimes I'll see a student and uh, one of uh, a nice way of positive discipline, something we might talk about a little bit later. It's a, a way in which we, uh, a method or a philosophy of discipline that we use in school of managing children's behaviors. Uh, so the line is, which in my mangled Yiddish means it's beneath you. It's beneath you. There's a story of Rabbi Abraham J. Torsky says that when he was living in Milwaukee, so they would have all sorts of interesting individuals that would come and pass through his father, the Hornstipler Rebbe's house. And there was an individual who came for a Shabbos and he was a young boy, uh, or Shabbos or Rosh Hashanah, I forgot his uh, special day. And uh, he got engaged, to, uh, he got brought into playing a game of chess. And, uh, and he ends up playing a, a game of chess with, uh, with this visitor. And he knew... Uh, I hope I get his story. He knew that his father did not want him to play chess on that particular day. I believe it was Rosh Hashanah. He knew that this was something that he was told not to do. And his father found out that he had played chess with this visitor, an, an innocent enough sounding act, at least to us, but in their household, that, that was the norm. And his father brought, brought him in, and he says, he writes this in his book, Givura, which he wrote, uh, now he's, he's since passed away. Unbelievable figure. I encourage everybody to find his, his writings. A life, life-saving, life-changing, um, real example of what it means to be uh, I think American Jewry, there was, uh, just parenthetically now, um, if you Google it, if you ask me, I could sh- send you Life Magazine in the 60s or 70s, did a whole, uh, did a whole series of portraits, of photos of Rabbi Torsky, uh, a Hasidic Jew, in I think Loyola Medical School, when he was studying to become a psychiatrist, and they have him wearing, uh, you know, his white kippah, looking over at, uh, at uh, neurology imaging, just amazing, amazing stuff. Anyway, he says, father calls him in, and uh, probably Avremla, did you play chess with uh, so-and-so? And he knew that he couldn't lie in front of his father. And he said, yes, I did. And, and did you know that you weren't allowed to? Or you weren't supposed to be playing chess today? Yes, father, I did. And he said to him, he looked at him, he said, I feel 80 years later, or however many years later, he wrote this in the book for Gvuros for his 80th birthday. He says, it's dear. It is beneath you. It is beneath you. You are destined. You are greater. You, are, you have a higher standard. And he said he felt that, right? That's, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed, right? You know that line? <laughs> you, know, you know you use it a lot when your kids say, I know you're not angry, you're just disappointed, <laughs> right? And you know, they know that that's bad. And his father says with a twinkle of his eye, but did you beat him, right? So that was, that was the story. Yecholim la'amodbo means that it's something that when the test comes, when the moment comes that your education is put to the test, and what you've learned and what you've garnered now needs to be put into action, put into play, that you are able to go ahead and to do so. That is chinuch. It's only a beginning if it has an end. It's only a beginning if it's, if it's a lasting edifice. Otherwise, otherwise, it's just a flash in the pan, and the word chinuch would not apply, would not apply to something like that. We continue on and we say, uh, yeah, we continue on and um, we continue on and he says, oh, you okay? Oh, okay. So we're going to continue and say, that this also, the word chinuch doesn't just apply to human beings. The word chinuch applies to tools. You know, sometimes when you get like a new uh, Apple product, one of the hardest things to do is to take off that film on the front of it. I imagine that there are other electronic companies that have something like that. The, the idea of, of taking something and being mechanic and saying, now I'm about to use it, right? When you have... Uh, when you have that thing that comes the first time and you've waited for, for a long time or a brand new pair of sneakers, and I'm never going to get these dirty. 
They're not yours. You're not using them until you actually start to walk in them and you have your first muddy rainstorm. Now they're your sneakers. That's what chinuch means. It can apply to a kli as well. He says, Even on a house, when you start to build it, you don't call it chanukat habayit when you start to build the house. It's only for when the house is already built and you're starting to work in it and you're starting to move into it. Only then can we say, now we are inaugurating the house. Nobody went ahead and had a party, maybe maybe only uh, Jewish institutions are looking to raise money. You know, you had a party when you just poured the foundation, right? The party comes when, when the building is built and people are ready to move in and you're ready to raise a family in it or you're ready to lead an institution or have a yeshiva or have a school inside of it or a synagogue. No, does the word then apply? And that is the implication of Rashi's usage of the word haschalas, of beginning. That the word chinuch means a beginning. That you will continue to stand with. It's a lasting edifice. And again, at the end of the day, it only really falls upon human beings. Let's continue. Let's move along and let's gain some purchase over here. If you're looking for the Piazetzner's definition of, 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 of what chinuch might be for a human being, I think that it's over here, right? Potential. Hachshara, a preparation that is found bekoach in potential within a person. I'll say that line again. Hachshara, the preparation, asher nimsa bekoach bekerava adam. What does it mean to prepare, to look at potential, to look at where somebody or something can go to, and let's say, let's prepare them to reach that potential. And this is what's going to take us for the rest of the evening. We're going to talk about potential. We're going to talk about what that might mean. This phrase seems like the Rebbe's line for this. To look at somebody and say, this is the potential within you. This is what you can be. But we're going to really unpack that word. That you could do this, you could do that. And I know that these shoes or that this house can take me to certain directions. That potential, that's what we mean when we talk about chinuch. It doesn't just apply to people, it applies and devolves upon other things as well. It means looking at something and saying, what can this be? What can I use this for? I think they have like on some interviews for certain companies, they give you something and they say, what can, what, you know, it's some nondescript object. say, what can you use this thing for? Right, it'll be some strange, so if you're like me, I would just give up and say, obviously I'm not smart enough to be here. But, but somebody, a real kakeach, somebody that's really, uh, that's really creative could look at something and say, here are the, the 50 uses I can imagine for this paperclip. The test for divergent thinking. The test for divergent thinking? They use a paperclip and they say, how many uses can you find for a paperclip? Amazing. And small children can find a hundred. Adults, two or three. Oh my gosh. Can you, can you show me? If I Google that, I can find it? Yeah, Sir Ken Robinson. Oh, that's he, awesome. Really oh, I know Sir Ken Robinson. He gave the speech about uh, the famous, uh, it's the fifth or sixth most watched TED Talk of all time. He compares schools to factories. And within that, he speaks about the I, I apparently did not pay good enough attention <laughs> to that. Oh my gosh. Uh, I remember that. That's like where they start to uh, color on the whiteboards. The RSA. I was like, how, how are they writing so fast? Amazing. Thank you. Ah, so divergent things. So there you go. Right? So it's an apropos metaphor. It's looking at something, seeing what can this thing be. No felashon chinach. That's where the word chinach comes out for. Teva la'atzmu tevas chinach. But the word chinach stands on its own. Chinach is the expression of potential. Chinach is not just looking and assessing and saying, wow, you have such potential. It's a line that I heard often growing up. I still hear it. You have such potential. That's a very empty line because it, sometimes it applies that you haven't done anything with that potential. 
Oh, you could do so much. So do it already. The Piazetzer says over here, is taking these things and bringing in expression to potential. I want to talk for a second about potential. Uh, potential, I think, is a tool for love. What do I mean by that? Uh, a thought experiment. Is there a single person here in this room right now? Is there a single person here who would not accept wholeheartedly and happily the notion that I told them that your child will surpass you in any way? In every way. Think about it for a second. Sit with that for a second. If I told you, every person here, that your child will surpass you in every way, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be wiser. They'll be a better parent than you. They'll be a better, a better spouse than you. They'll be, they'll be better at their jobs. They're going to contribute more to the world. I would aver that there's not a single person in this room that would say that they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give everything that they possibly could to ensure that that potential would be expressed. There is a way to look at your children, to look at students, I think, and this is where the heroics of teaching come in as well. We look at the kids in your classroom. I, I look at a Gemara classroom and I say, the greatest thing that would happen in my Gemara classroom is that one of, if not all of the students sitting in that classroom emerge from that, and, and 10 years later, it might take a little bit of time, but 10 years later, can teach a better Gemara class than me, or they might need a little bit more time. There's still a little bit, oh no, they'd be like 20, 20 something, I guess, right? That they would surpass us in every way. But for a parent, it's not a question, I don't think. And if it is a question, I think that there's a lot of self-assessment that needs to be done, right? If you say that, we talk about potential, we're not just talking about some abstract term, we're saying we're looking at the child in front of us that's giving us a run for our money right now, a child that is, that is making things very difficult and I, I just want to go into bed. I've had a hard week. I have a lot on my mind. I'm really tired. I'm hungry even. And, and then you, you pause for a second. You could do this every day. I think that's there in the abstract. These thoughts in the abstract are only really valuable sometimes if you bring it down and you even verbalize it or you use it in a prayer or you utter that in a prayer. Dear God, it doesn't have to be in Hebrew. Dear God, Master of the universe, I want my child to surpass me in every single aspect. I want, I, want, I, want, I want to be proud of them, not just because they're copying me or they're aping me or they're listening to what I'm telling them to do. I want, I want them to be a greater person than me. That, that's how you know. That's potential tied in inextricably to love because what happens when you understand and internalize that is that then you won't... You won't there's nothing that you won't do for your child. There's nothing that you won't do for that student. It allows you to, it allows you to be heroic. I mean, in, in, in its most extreme, in its most extreme is that I also think that if you, if you asked people, and I know that many of us saying there are probably products of survivors or people before that, and I know the Piazzetta for sure would be like this, that is that our parents, and like you think about this for a second and you're like, actually, yeah. I would give my life for my child. There's not, there's not a pain in the world I would not accept to not see them in pain. And that's why when they're in pain or even experience slightly, a slight amount of pain and it's not, it's not quite that crazy, it's not quite that intense, it throws us for such a loop. Because, because I'll, t- I'll take whatever, you're not, it's not working out with you and friends right now, I'll take isolation at the kiddish. I'll take isolation socially I, I'll, I won't get invited to the New Year's party, right? 
you're, you're struggling and failing in math, I w- I'll, I'll fail my next project at work. Now, of course, it's within reason, right? Anything, any kind of mysterious nefesh in this practical sense, any sort of self-sacrifice has to be, you have to maintain also, you need to be there for them. You can't completely self-abnegate. But when you start asking these questions, even on a daily basis, a two-minute meditation, it's a centering process that reminds you why you're here and why you're doing all this. Why you're working so hard. Why you're, why you're struggling and why it's beneficial to have patience, that word that we mentioned last week. I also think that this is part of where the real anger at our children comes from sometimes, right? Because if this is somebody that you love so much, how could it be that you could get so mad I'll speak about myself. You can get so mad that, that you forget that. That you can get so mad that, that you can even say things to a child that might be hurtful and that you're not mindful and you don't pause and you lose your patience and you yell and, and you're not as careful. And I think, that, I think that the times that you, the parents really get here, and I'm talking to us, talking to good parents, the times you get there is when you see your child squandering potential in real time. So when you see your child doing things that you know right now that are going to, that are going to cause chas v'shalom, God forbid, long-term damage to their potential. We just had somebody, we had a friend coming over uh, yesterday was telling us uh, they had moved their child from one school to another, not, 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 uh, not in the Jewish school systems, right? And we asked, you know, why did you move them from this person? Really, really good public schools. I mean, like top, top public schools, beautiful area. She said, there is a rampant, rampant drug and alcohol problem in middle school. I said, middle school? They said, middle school. I said, in this area where you live, it's ritzy, it's fit. She said, yes. And she said, I know, the medical professional, I know that, that one mistake in this area, and a child might not even mean it, is a permanent damage of potential. Permanent damage of potential. That's real anger. That's real squandering. All this love, everything that I have for you to, to actualize it, to be better than me, you're going to go ahead and throw that out? And you even know, you know intuitively that the child doesn't even have the tools to be able to handle such a thing. So real anger, right? And I remember the times that I, that, that I would do things. The only time I felt real, real anger, not disappointment, but anger from my parents was when I engaged in reckless behavior like that when I got caught driving too fast, right? When I got caught doing things that, that could have said all this potential, that you're probably still gonna be 30, uh, 35 years old and still wondering where, where the realization is, but all this potential could be squandered in an instant, which is why that care, that's, that's where real anger comes in. I would, I would say that that's justified, but as long as you're mindful of why that anger is coming in, because that's, that's anger that's a function of love. And we find, we find this. We find God is described. There are times that God himself has true anger. Right? There's moments where there's, there's, where there's anger that's expressed. If this potential is not expressed, if chinuch is a lashon, is a language of expressing potential, and we don't express it, it's going to stay hidden. It is upon us, it is incumbent upon parents and teachers to express it, to take it out, to teach a particular individual how to acquire a certain trade, to use a, a house, a building, or a vessel in its proper way, the reason it was created. 
To use the room for the proper purposes. I, I would say, you know, the first time that we had learning, I would say the first time that, that we had learning in my house, the first time we did a shear was the Chabura for, uh, for, we sat at this table, we had a Chabura for, the, for CAS. I said, ah, oh, it's a Chinuch for the room. Now this room like, has a Rishimo, it has an imprint, the Torah was learned in this room. And, and by the way, rooms in your house can have, right, people have family rooms. Right, you know, in the family room, people might say, there's no TV in the family room. Family room is where we sit, we read together. Family room is where games happen. You might say that, uh, you know, in this room, for example, in this room, there's, um, we try. It doesn't always work, but there's no YouTube videos in this room. This room, I want to have a certain character. I want to have a certain quality. By the way, you educate your children, right? All of a sudden, it used to be a big deal when we were in uh, elementary school. It used to be the threshold. Right? Does anybody else have this when they were in elementary school? Our teacher would teach us, we come up to the threshold, there's a little line of black tape, Miss Meschenberg in third grade, little line of black tape, we would have to line up, nobody could cross the threshold until you were allowed to cross the threshold. It was nothing, it was a piece of black tape on the floor, but it was like the Berlin Wall was in front of us. Because there's a chinuch, you're educating that place can have meaning, the people, a tool, everything can have meaning if you put, if you infuse it with the right amount of chinuch, if you infuse it with the right amount of education. When we say this word chinuch about teaching or educating or raising children, and the word legalosa, revelation of that which is hidden within a child or a student, I think that that word revelation is actually important to reveal it. To reveal it means that there is something Sanaitic that's going on. Just as God comes and says, I'm going to teach the Jewish people what it means to be a chosen nation. I'm going to teach you what election of Israel means. I'm going to teach what it means to keep mitzvot and to be a, a light unto the nations. What it means to, to, to love one another. What the Torah means standing on one foot. So that's a revelation. That's a revelation. God is, a, it's a seishura. The world is opening up Skies are opening up and God is saying, this is what I want. This is what's hidden in you. And this is what I want from this nation of, of erstwhile. I mean, they still had, they, 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 could, they could taste the slavery still. And God says, this is how I'm going to educate you. Parenthetically, I would say that there is a narrative thread that runs throughout the Torah. Right? You look at the Jews complaining. All of the book of Numbers, for example, is just complaining, complaining, complaining. It's like sitting in a car ride with your kids and they're saying, are we there yet? Are we there? Are we there? And you're like, we're going to freaking Disney World. How can you be complaining about the journey? God is saying, we're going to the land of Israel. You're going to have grapes the size of cars over there. What is going on with you? And they're just complaining. And there's a rabble. And we remember the food that we had in Egypt. There's a way to look at all of the Chumash from the, from the Parshiot, from from the portions that deal with the Exodus, looking at it as the stages of birth into early childhood development, into a child's first learning of Torah, into a child's development, adolescence, and then senescence and the death of that generation and, and their children are the ones that finally merit. I mean, if you, if you think about it deeper, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it literally starts with the breaking of a water, right? Starts with, with Mitzrayim, is seen. God describes Hotzi Am Mitoch Am. A nation was brought out, was birthed from another nation. It's all, there's a, a way to read the entire Torah as an educational document, describing early childhood development. That's, that's the way that it could totally be seen. And he says, 
that this is a revelation that when you look at kids and, and if, you're, if you're parenting the right way, the first time that your child walks, the first time they say mama or dada or, uh, you know, I don't even remember a kid's first words. <laughs> I bet it was mama. Um, Usually. <laughs> right. <laughs> the heck am I? Um, right. The, the first words, right, if you're, if you're there, if, you're, if, you're, if you merit to be there for your child's first words, I think that, I think it's a religious experience, right? If you're there the first time your child comes home and they say the moda'ani with you, or the first time that your child uh, is able to even to do a math problem. Mommy, I did two plus two on my own. Or they know the ABCs for the first time. It's a revelation. Something that was not there previously, all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? And all of a sudden they start walking and they take the first wobblies. Where did that come from? It's a revelation. It's a gift. Something that wasn't there, something that was behelim, something that was hidden before, is now coming and being expressed. And being mefateach and developing that and allowing that to continue, that initial revelation, allowing that to continue, that's what chinuch is when it comes to a child. And since a Jewish person from the youngest age has a soul, a godly soul, that's hidden and, 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 and ensconced within them, the same as an adult's soul, the same as an elderly person's soul, it's the same soul. Speaking of, really good movie, everybody should go see it. Soul. So you have to catch on to that. You have to look at that spark. You have to behold that spark and say, our job is to continue to express it and to reveal it. You're uncovering. You're not putting something there that wasn't there previously. You're uncovering it and you're allowing it to blossom. Right? And they could become, they could become a, a faithful Jew. Somebody that serves God. Right? What... This is the main potential that we're speaking of over here. Ultimately, we're talking about raising children and having students that are godly. And I'll say in parentheses, what does it mean to be godly? So thankfully you have the Torah and Chazal to tell us. Godliness ultimately is people that act like God. What does it mean to act like God? Right? It means mahu rachum afata rachum. Just as God is compassionate, we teach compassion. Right? Just as God is merciful, so too we're merciful. What we're doing is we're teaching people to go against their instinctual basic default setting. We're teaching them to think about other people. We're teaching them to think about beyond this world. We're teaching them that this world isn't the only thing that's there. That they are not the center of the universe. That we are not the center of the universe. That is impossible stuff. That's what you need a Torah for. So we want to become of the Hashem. That they should want to learn Torah on their own. And therefore, if they're on this path, even when they get older, they won't leave it. And a word about this. The Pasuk says, A word about this. Yaskin doesn't mean when you are old. In the Piazetzer's estimation, Yaskin means as they grow older. As, and as you grow older can be in this very moment right now. It doesn't mean that the point is, is that sometime later on, this 12-year-old in front of me, when they're old and and have their own grandchildren, they're 85 years old, that they're going to remember this. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. That somehow the dark comes complete. We're talking about as they grow older and as they go through life's paraginations and, and all its challenges and everything the life throws at you and its ups and downs, that this stays with this. Lo yasur means that they don't deviate from this. 
That even when it seems to be failing them, even when it seems to be not holding them up, that this is something that they're going to stick to and hold on to. So not when you're old, but as you grow older. Loyasur doesn't mean that they're going to go off the derech per se. It means that they're going to continue to learn and to benefit from these things. Right? I would say that my, uh, m- m- the moments when I'm proudest of myself, it's, it's rare Right during the school year that I get, I, I have plans of all the Torah I'm going to learn. I'm going to get, and I'm going to sit down at the table, and I'm going to learn this, and I'm going to finish that, and I'm going to write this. And oftentimes, once the kids are asleep, and once the emails are answered, and once the next day is prepared, and once I've uh, talked Mr. Giver's ear off for another hour, right? The act of getting myself to a table to learn is nigh impossible. So what do I do? I say, okay, I, at least I'm going to bring a safer with me, and I'll, I'll, at least I'll sit on the couch with the safer. Two minutes after, fast asleep. Okay, at least I'll go into bed and I'll learn some Rambam on my phone and I'll fall asleep to the Rambam. Before I know it, I'm watching basketball highlights, right? But, but that desire, right? The, the want, to me, that's what makes me, that's, that's how I remind myself not to get down and say, at least I still want it. At least it's still an important thing to me. At least if I, it's not, it's not sufficient, but at least it, I'll tell myself or lie to myself, if I really had the strength, this is what I would want to be doing right now. This is where I would find my joy. Right? So, Torah Sami Atzma Yechbatz means that, that this is the thing that I hold on to. Lo Yasrimenu means that in the times of my life when I found myself adrift, in the times of my life that I find myself wanting or that I need something strong to hold on to, this is the derech, this is the thing that I want to hold on to, this is the thing I want to come back to, this is my anchor. That's, that's, that's what a proper chinuch does. And I could think of my rebbies and my teachers and my grandparents and my parents and all their words and, uh, and recognize as I grew older that these are the things that got me to that. I was telling uh, Rabbi Kamen, mentioned to me that in, um, in a good at the eight o'clock minute, they used to have tables. I don't know if this is true. They used to have tables. And, uh, and I said, oh, that, what's one, one table? One table on the side. I said. There's a couple. Whatever it is, I hope this is okay to say we need to bring it back because the, the Gemara has a term for that which you learn when you're young. It's called Girsa de Ankusa. That which you learn when you're young, that's the thing that stays. The first time you heard something, and certain stuff is very, very sticky. There's actually a lot of educational research about like why certain pieces of information are really, really sticky. So I'll get back to what I was talking about, but like, for example, I won't do it with this, but every time I take a glass of water, not that I'm some super makbid on everything that I do, but I won't guzzle down a glass of water and finish it all in one fell swoop because I heard somewhere, probably when I was five or six years old, I don't even remember the first instantiation of when I ever learned it, but I learned that it's the midah of Esav to be a gargaran, that an Esav is somebody that guzzles down the entire thing in one fell swoop. So the way that Aid goes ahead and drinks a glass of water is that you drink, and even though you're really, really thirsty, you stop, take a breath, and then you finish it up again to refine it, right? Nowadays, for me, that's like one of the Aseris at Dibros. doesn't replace one of them, but it's, it's, a, it's right up to it, the Ten Commandments, right? That is like the most, it stuck, it was sticky. Why? Because it was Girsa de Ankusa, it was something I learned when I was young. So Girsa de Ankusa, the way I experienced Shul growing up, I'm very, I, I would say that my, I, my own relationship with Shul is a very beautiful one. Shul is like a living room. Because the way that I went to Shul when I was growing up is that it was literally somebody's living room. It was a shtibol. Not exactly. It was a shtibol. It was in a house. Right? There was no youth groups. There was no, uh, there was no anything. Right? It was just the shtibol. And it wasn't fancy. It wasn't nice. But we knew every family and everybody had a table. And we had to serve the cholent that was made that was shiny with Crisco. You could see a reflection <laughs> in the cholent. Right? All these things... 
So now when I go to Shul, I want, that's what I want to see because that's, that's what I feel most at home with. That's the thing that I want to hold on to. Lo That was my chinuch of what Shul should be. And that's why even I would joke around about this in Lincoln Square, in, 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 in high church, right? You know, with, with pulpits and, and flags and, and all the accoutrements, you know, of, of a beautiful synagogue. Ultimately, for me, that's not shul. Ultimately, for me, synagogue at Shabbos is going to a place where I'm bunched up against somebody else, where I could, where I could uh, smell, some, unfortunately, smell the wild turkey on the person next to me's breath who hasn't been in shul for half the time, right? And when uh, the, the, there's a shouting match, because everybody felt that was shul. And that's where I feel most at home. And you probably, if you remember, and you could do this kind of meditation, this kind of thought experience, you could probably draw yourself back to a particular time in your life and say, the way that I like my ice cream or the way that I like to hold the book or, or the time of day that's and it's usually connected to some educational experience, whether at home or in a classroom that you had when you were very, very young. And it becomes imprinted on you. Lo yasrimeni, you hold on to that for the rest of your life. Let's go ahead a little bit more and let's finish up this paragraph. Now we talked about these two types of people last time. There's the mechanech, and then there's the mitzavah and the margil. The mitzavah is the person who says, do this. The margil is the person who says, do this again and again and again and again. Right? Not quite my tempo. And whiplash, right? Again. The mitzavah or the margil, the person that wants to command, or the person that wants to have a child do what they want by getting them, uh, by getting them into a routine of doing so, now, the Piazzetta said, well, those are good tools in the service of education. That is not education. And the Markil or the Mitzavik, Shemitzvaso, Yam Shiyak, Vyabr Shus Atzmo, right? Sorry, I skipped line. Veilo Amitzava, Filo Amargil, the person who commands a child, the person that even gets a child into a particular routine. Eino Batuach Shabeno Atamid Amitzuva, Vamisragil, Yasak, Mitzvaso, Gam Shiyak, Vyabr Shus Atzmo. It's not quite clear whether or not that child will stick around with this when they get older. Meaning it's not chinuch if it only happens when you're in front of them. It's not chinuch where if it's only in your house and the second that they leave your house, they're acting like a completely different person. Right? It's like, you know, in your house, yes, mother, yes, father, of course. And the second the friend's car shows up, they run out, you know, and they're, ta- and, and they're talking a completely different, I don't even recognize this child. Who is this child? That's not going to be chinuch. Yeah, very good that when they're in your house, they're behaving a certain way, the way that you want to, or that you've impressed upon them or commanded them to do, or that the routines are. What you want to hear, the best thing is when your kid comes back from like a play date or something, they cleaned up all the toys. What, I, I guess the line used to be, what good breeding. I don't think we could use it anymore. Right? <laughs> it's a line I heard a lot when it was good breeding. I'm not quite sure what that means. But, but like the happiest, one of the happiest things, we just did a trip. Uh, we just did a trip and there were certain, there were two boys that I had asked to clean up the pizza store after us. And there were, there was a girl's table where every single girl took her stuff, picked her stuff up and went and put it down. To me, that's chinuch. I, 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 I'm not with them at home. But it, it, it's probable that at those child, at, that, at those children's house, they're educated, the chinuch is, that this is what we do when we're finished eating. And you know that it lasts and that it's something that's sticky because they go ahead and do it without being asked to do so. Chinuch is, 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 not, is not going to be that right now, when you're in my house, this is what you do. That's not chinuch. That's commanding. It might even be that you did a really good job of commanding and you've struck the fear of God into the child and, and that they get into a routine of doing that. But the problem is that that's not going to last. And under the first test, that's going to break. Under the first test, that's going to be something that's shattered. 
This is what Shlomo Melch meant when he said, When you teach a child according to their path, Your job as a parent, as a teacher, is to look and to go deep into that child's soul, to see them for who they are, and to go deep inside their inner life, and to reveal that sanctity, that holiness that each child possesses, that is now in occlusion, that's now hidden. Virak as. That's how you know that you're going to succeed. That as they grow older and as they start to raise their own children, you start to see that happening. It's a, it's a point of pride in our family that we put my kids go to sleep with the same songs that I was put to sleep together with. It's a point of pride. It's a point of pride because it's something we say, this, this left an imprint, this left an effect on us. So we're going to go and do it. We're going to tell the same stories that grandparents told us. Those traditions, those routines, those things, you want that to be something that sparks joy. You want it to be something that lasts and creates a tradition, right? Tradition is something to be passed over from generation to generation that stands the test of time and all of its challenges. You want to do that as well. Let's, um, let's finish off with one more paragraph. Shlomo Amela. So far, so good? Any, I should actually pause. Any questions? Anything? This was not supposed to be completely one-sided. Nah? I just wanted to share a thought. It Please. reminds me very much this whole idea of like kids doing things because they've learned and they're educated and like they've changed who they are. I, I work in a school, in middle school, and my teachers, I have teachers who say, oh, they don't do that in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's because you're an excellent police officer. But if you haven't educated them to be better people, they're not operating that way throughout the school. It's not a point of pride. Like you should be doing doing things differently. That's outstanding. I mean, that's somebody telling on themselves a little bit. Right? Exactly, right. right. That's, right. that's, I, you, you hear, that's very, that's a very uh, wise point. You hear, and you, you hear this with parents also, right? Not in my house are you going to do this, but that's, what you're parenting for a particular address, that's where your, that's where your parenting is? That's not. It just makes me think as a school leader, because I'm a leader in the school, it makes me think like, are we doing the right things right. by our kids? Are we creating the proper culture? And, and you know. Yeah, I, I, I have seen, um, there, there is some literature that says that uh, the most important place of learning in a school is not in classrooms, but it's in hallways and yards and lunchrooms and gyms and libraries. In a classroom, yes, teacher can est- and teacher must establish routines. And a teacher, it's very important. I'll say, um, I'll say parenthetically, I got great advice. Um, when I was first starting out, I remember John Kroll, who was the principal of uh, SAR High School. So he did some mentoring for me, uh, really helped me along the first year that I was teaching. I wasn't even a teacher yet. I was covering maternity leave for another teacher. It was the middle of the year, and I had limited classroom experience. And they said, oh, it's a class of high school sophomores. Do you want it? And, and, and I was like, my first instinct was like, of course not. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not ready for this. And, and, and if you ever taught, if you ever had the courage to teach, which is the name of a great book, if you ever, had, if you ever taught, you know how terrifying uh, it might be, right? You could say, they're just kids. What could, they, what could they do to me? They could do a lot. They could do a lot. And, uh, and that's part, maybe it's probably telling how important it is. But you get the courage to go into this classroom. You have these 20 faces staring right back at you. And you know that whatever you do to open your mouth, you're going to fail. He said something interesting. He said, you're, you've read all these books and you've been to all these colloquia and they're going to tell you, use different modalities and, 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 and convey information 
uh, in different ways, make it fun, and, and make sure that, the, like I said last week, that the conversation is bouncing one student off another, and you have a dynamic classroom, and, and, and you're thinking all this in the back of your mind. He said, drop it. He actually told me this. He said, he said, for the first two weeks that you go in there, he said, it's okay to be a lecturer. It's okay to be the sage on the stage, as they call it, right? Because you establish yourself. Once you have routines, this is not to denigrate the power of routine and the power of sometimes commanding, right? It's to say that, is that, it's, it's to say that that is not even half of the battle, or at the very, that is, that is never to be seen as a goal unto itself. But he told me, when you go and you need to establish routines, and you have teachers, I have seen sometimes teachers come in and they have their shtick, and they have all different kinds of new things that they're going to introduce, introduce in a classroom, and they want to spend so much time uh, with certain kinds of, of get-to-know-you games and icebreakers. So you have other teachers that come and say, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to just start teaching the mission on the first day. I've actually heard that sometimes. Right? You'll hear a teacher, I'm going to, just, I'm going to go right into quadratic equations right, at the, right on the very first day. They won't know what hits them, and, and, and that's the way that they'll learn to behave in the classroom. That's another tell, how to behave in a classroom, right? It, it's like you try and shift people's language ever so slightly. Language matters say, how, how can they learn best in this classroom, right? Just something like that. Behave is about a teacher, and that's going to be next week, is, is, is about who do we center in this conversation. Is it the child or the teacher? Is it the child or the parent? We touched a little bit about this. But if, if you go in, and you think like that, and you don't establish routines first, you will never, it will be almost impossible, and a classroom will be almost impossible to get them back. Not impossible, you can, right? But it's very, very hard. So you need these things, but that cannot be your goal. That's only the, the ground floor to what you hope to accomplish. Okay, I, I, I think actually we're, I'll say one last thing in the next paragraph, next, not next week, if we do meet next week. Um, and stay tuned. I appreciate Matt putting this in the chat. We'll have to figure out some sort of a way uh, to let people know uh, and to be uh, aware of this week. I know uh, there are people away. Um, this is what it means, Alpi Darko. Alpi Darko doesn't mean Chanoch Lenar and let the Nar decide whatever they want to do, right? Alpi means according to. It means that they should be part of this process. They should be thought of as part of this process. They should be an important an important part of this decision-making matrix when it comes to what their chinuch will entail, right? But if a child says, I want to eat ice cream every single day for breakfast, you say, oh, this is their derech. <laughs> this, is what they want to, this is what they want to do. Or a child, says, a child says, you know, it's first grade, I want to still be wearing the fireman costume to school every single day, which might be a very big problem for us in our family, right? You don't say, oh, of course, honey, you want to be a firefighter, that's your derech. <laughs> of course not. Of course, the Alpi Darko means that they inform the process. Ultimately, there is going to be Tzivoy. Ultimately, there is going to be Hergel that's going to be involved in it. Routines are going to be involved in it. But what the Piazetzner is ever so subtly doing, or maybe not so subtly doing, is reorienting us as to what exactly the goal is and what works. And we'll see next week exactly how he does this. Uh, but for now, uh, we'll say that's all she wrote for now. Uh, I thank you once again. Our learning was... That's all he wrote for now. I'll say our learning was Rufua Shlema. For Karmia Chaya Hadas Vas Tsipora Miriam and Lili Nishmas Tove Gittel Vas Michal Gershon Visharon. Next week we pick off with paragraph Shlomo Amelech.